In this episode, I speak with Trené Laurie, a high school special education teacher. Trené shares the lessons she's learned during COVID-19 when she let go and stepped out on faith into the uncertainty of teaching and learning. In this episode, I am having a conversation with Trené Laurie, a high school teacher in um, a rural area of Pennsylvania, which sounds, when you think about it, it seems like it's a rural place, but when you've lived there, you realize that it's a bedroom community of New York City. And she's been teaching for eight years. And we're going to just chat about continuing our conversation around this idea of teaching and learning with uncertainty, especially as students are returning to school. So, Trené, how are you? How are you doing with preparing for reopening of school? If I'm being honest here, I am not preparing Um, (laughs) because there's too much uncertainty for me to prepare because we don't know what's happening. We don't know what's going on. We know that we're going hybrid, which is also something that I don't necessarily believe that we should be doing. So um, my inner rebel is not allowing me to prepare, which is probably not the best thing or the best situation uh, for what I'm walking into. But it's my truth of what's going on. And I, at this point, I was speaking to someone the other day. I haven't even bought anything from my classroom. Usually I'm in this mode of, you know, I'm getting posters and I'm buying things and changing, you know, what I'm going to have my classroom look like for the year. Um, But I am not doing that because I don't feel invested in it. I don't feel like it's something that we should be doing. I don't think we're doing the right thing. So I've resigned myself to Just, you know, I'll be there to do my job on the first day. I teach life skills, so my kids absolutely need to see me. And I realized that with doing hybrid learning, well, doing, you know, learn from home over COVID, that they do need to see me and they do need that interaction. But we can't do it if it's not the safe thing to do. So that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You know, what comes through loud and clear is the reservations you have with the decision that's being made, right? And it makes me think about all of the teachers and the reservations that they have and how those reservations are impacting their action, right? You know, you describe not being prepared, not doing anything, you know, and immediately what came to mind was fight, flight, or freeze, and you seem to be frozen, right? I'm I'm just going to freeze this moment because I don't know in which direction to turn. Yeah, that's, that's heavy. Mm-hmm. That's heavy. And I'm not the only one who feels that way. Yeah. Um, my colleagues are afraid. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people have young children. People have made decisions about taking leave and what they're going to do. And it's, it's hard to have to sit there and make a choice between what you love to do versus your family, yeah. your, your family's well-being. And thinking that the job that you have, which is to educate children, isn't really putting that that putting that into perspective for everyone that this is we want to keep everyone safe. You cannot guarantee me to be safe. Yeah. You can't guarantee that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We just need to sit in that for a moment and let people just feel that, right? Because, you know, you're one teacher, but when we bring all of that together, there are 
are thousands of teachers feeling that same heavy weight. And that's nothing to blink your eye at or sneeze at. Like it's something that really needs to be taken into consideration. And I think too, for district leaders and school leaders, how are they even preparing for the heaviness that teachers are are gonna bring with them? Right. You know, they're focused on the students social emotional well-being but i think the teacher social emotional well-being is is just as important and has just as much of an impact on the student social emotional well-being yeah so when schools closed down in march what was that spe- experience like with teaching and learning in covid-19 <laughs> wow i mean well what's funny i'll give you a little background i broke my ankle in december So I was out of work from December 9th until February 20th. Yes. So you returned and then went home again. (laughs) And went again out. So I didn't really have much time. So even with this year with my students, like I feel like I missed so much time with them. With Learn From Home, I did my best to incorporate weekly Google Meets. So I would set up class Google Meet so the kids could see each other. We could see each other and me and the teacher um, that has, I have one half of the students and she has another half of them. So I teach um, the higher level students. So my students are aged between about 15 and 21, but I do have, you know, different levels. So usually my students are somewhere in the range of like a second or third grade level up to maybe about a fourth or fifth grade level. So we have all different types of varying personalities and different things, but I wanted to make sure that they could see each other because I know so many of them, you know, needed that and they relied on that. So I feel like that made our situation unique because I know that there were teachers who couldn't get kids to come to their Google Meets because you had no relationships with them. So, you know, you can't try to build a relationship with it, you know, during COVID, like that's not going to happen. So My students came, you know, for the most part, I had, you know, a few that didn't come, but those, you know, for different reasons, but the majority of my students came every single week. And what was enjoyable about it is that I had, you know, certain administrators that would pop in, you know, and say, you know, to speak to the kids because they, you know, they love my students and then different, you know, of the elective teachers that would say, oh, you're doing Google Meets, let me come in and see the kids. So that's what I, I loved about it because we were able to collaborate in a different way. And the kids were able to see that they were supported with other teachers being involved. Now, the part of working was not that easy because I teach life skills. So for them to be able to understand some of the things I was doing in terms of, you know, assignments and just the interpretation of not having me, like I would offer them the opportunity to to join a Google Meet. Like I had an open one all day. Mm -hmm. They had a question about something, they could pop in and they can talk to me if they needed help with something. Um, and I had some that would, but then other ones, it was, they would just submit assignments that were just completely and totally the opposite of what I asked for. And I'm like, that's not what I asked you to do. So I realized like how much they miss me being there in the physical form to be able to guide them in certain ways. Cause it was just so many things lost in translation. So that's what made it hard. But honestly, we spent the time just building relationships. Like we would just talk on, you know, on Google meets on Mondays from nine to 10 and they would talk to each other. And we just opened that space for them to be able to have communication with one another mostly. Yeah. Wow. No, you speak to the power of relationship, right? And, and it's so often, I think in schools that gets lost or, The relationships that are fostered aren't authentic. And when it's not authentic, the minute that there's a curveball thrown, you see the level of the relationship, you know, and I think you've made it quite evident that the relationship with your students was pretty deep because they were showing up and they were doing the assignments. 
granted, however they did them, they were doing the work. So the level of respect that they had for you was quite evident in just the actions that the students did. And I think relationship is a good thing for us to talk about for a little bit, because I know that there are so many teachers out there and even school leaders who are very concerned about the social interaction. And they're using that as one of the reasons why kids need to be back in school. So can you say a little bit about what you did to continue to build the relationship virtually? You know, one thing you said so far, I think was visually, like they needed to see each other. What else made building those relationships in a virtual environment um, successful? I would say consistency. If I, for whatever reason, like, and I would, I had it a, as a recurring Google Meet, but I had, you know, some kids that would say, hey, Mrs. Lurie, are we meeting today? You know, they were looking for it and they expected it. And I made sure that I did it throughout the entire process. And then even at the end, I told them how, you know, that I was going to make sure that even for their birthdays, the kids that were in the summer, that we would have a Google Meet in the summertime, you know, for the kids who had summer birthdays. So that gave them something to look forward to, that there was going to be something to even come after this, that even though we're not going to see each other every Monday and, you know, school is over, but there's still the connection that we have that doesn't change because we have the school building that's that we're not in any longer and school's closed. So they know that I'm invested in the process for the long run. They know that they're going to, they're able to depend on me in that way to be able to show up and making sure that they have that understanding, even with their intellectual disabilities and their limited understanding, they know who cares about them. That's something that they know without a shadow of a doubt. They know who's available. They know who's there. They know who's going to be the constant and the person who's consistent in their life. So all of those things, I think, helped, you know, with our relationships and our fostering. Like we even like last day school, we played Kahoot, like we played games. To us, it wasn't the academic. And I say us because I have, you know, a co-teacher as well that, you know, worked with me. We had fun, you know, where I know that some teachers, you know, they would tell us, you know, make sure you close a Google Meet out so the kids can't talk. Uh, this might be some of the ways that they only talk. We, we think about the things that are so trivial. It's like they were saying, like, you have to make sure that you don't reuse your link. You'll be the last person to leave the Google Meet because we don't want kids in there talking. And I'm like, this, but that's how they're socializing right now. They don't have the ability. Some kids don't have phones. You know, some people don't have access to certain things. And this is the only way that they can see their friends. Like, are we really going to take that away from them, too? Of course we are, because that's what we do, because we steal hope. <laughs> And joy from the children. <laughs> oh, wow. There was a podcast called, I think it was Abolitionist Teaching or something like that. But the presenters in this podcast were Dr. Bettina Love, Dr. Goldie Muhammad, and uh, Dina S Simmons. And one of the things, and I can't remember which one of them said it, but they said, we are spirit murderers. Oh. And that when that they, she said that phrase, it like struck me to my core. And I thought, ah. Oh, yeah. And it sounds like what you're talking about now, right? How we are murdering the spirit of just the students' relationship building, right? Wanting to shut down things. A colleague of mine and I did a, a webinar just this past Sunday, and my colleague found on Twitter a post about engagement in a virtual classroom. And so the post had these I call them norms, mm -hmm. but I'm quite sure someone would say rules, but some of them were turn your camera on, 
you have to stay on camera. So not just that the camera is on, but you need to be in the camera. One of them was you have to keep your eyes on the screen. And then in parentheses, it had 98% of the time. There was maybe one or two others. Well, we use this in our presentation to show the point of we presented these norms and said, this is what our expectation is for how you participate in our session. And we went on and did some learning. We reminded them of the norms again, just as teachers would do, right? And did some more learning. And then we asked them to check in with how they were feeling. And so one of the participants said, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm feeling a little anxious. I had some surgery done on my face and you said, turn my camera on. And that's all I could think about. So I'm not sure what I learned because I was too busy thinking about my camera has to be on and I have to stay in the camera. And so when you say those things, it just, it not only is it spirit murdering, but it then interferes with the academic instruction, because I can no longer think about what you, what I should be cognitively processing, because my brain is trying to process these things you've asked me to do that are making me uncomfortable. Yes. That just, yeah. And so we showed it just to prove, you know, that point to teachers is that we come up with these ideas sometimes that don't make sense and interfere with the cognitive work we want the students to do. And then we wonder, well, why didn't you do that? Why couldn't you understand that? (laughs) Well, my brain can't process that when it's too busy trying to make sure I can do all the things you want me to do to even be in this space. Yeah. So because we're the ones in control Mm -hmm. and we want to be seen and we want people to listen to us and we want to be the ones that are here and we're, we're doing a job, but what is, what are we doing it for? You know, are we doing it with purpose? Um, Are we doing it because it's, you know, this is what we do daily. This is how we feed our families or this, is there a purpose to what we're doing? And I feel like we get lost in that sometimes. Yeah. 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 I agree. What value does this experience even have for you? What value are you getting from this whole (laughs) COVID? Yes you know, return to school, reopening schools, like what's, what's valuable for that in that for you? Well, I've, I've learned that I can do my job from home. Like I can do my job. I did work harder, I think at home than I did in the classroom, but that came with a level of comfort of knowing that I was home and that my children were home and that they were safe. So it was something that I was able to adapt to and be comfortable in because, and it made me even work harder with trying to find things creatively to engage my students where I found so many more resources. And even because so many places made resources free or very inexpensive, you know, because they knew kids were home, it gave me an eye, you know, to see a lot of different sites and places that I probably would have never looked for information and for things, you know, to keep my students engaged. So it opened up a window of, you know, new opportunity and new, um, new ways to engage them. Even though some things didn't work, you know, it was okay. Like I would tell them like, listen, I'm going to do this this week. We're going to see how it goes. If it doesn't go well, you'll never see it again. I promise. But I do want to try to see, you know, who's able to do what and what, you know, and and not able to do what I did. I think I stepped out on a lot more faith 
you know, and it made me a lot more freer, you know, in like, hey, why not? Why won't, why won't I do this? Let's try it, you know, and see how it goes. Um, so I feel it made me freer. It made me more confident in my teaching ability because I had to make sure that I was giving them something. Like I didn't want them because of the fact that they value routine so much. I had to have something for them that was purposeful to do because they looked for it. I would laugh because sometimes with Google Classroom, I would post things and I would I, I had to start scheduling them to go out in the morning because I would have kids, if I'm working at 1130 at night, if I posted something, they would start doing it. And I would say, this is for Monday. <laughs> this is for Tuesday. So I had to start to do it because they were so eager, you know, and then also just being home all day, they just were bored. You know, so if they saw an assignment pop up at, you know, 1137, they just started doing it, you know. So that's now your work for Monday that's completed, you know, that you completed Sunday night. So it made me realize how much they needed something, that they needed things to do. And I, I needed to be able to provide them that. You bring up several really great points. And, and one is because I've so often heard, again, people say we have to get kids back in the building so they can learn. No, they can learn online. And, and I'm, I'm not saying for all of you who are listening that all students can learn online. Some students may struggle with it, but learning can happen online. And I think you also speak to the ways in which you've learned to adapt your instruction so that it fits an online environment. You didn't walk into this trying to teach your in-person lesson in an in-person way online because you recognize, you know, that just doesn't work. So what are the other tools that are out there that I can use to support the online learning that I might not have used in an in-person environment? So being just being adaptable. And you speak to what allowed you to be adaptable was your confidence and your ability to do it. Right. You know, you even said your confidence grew, but you had confidence and you were OK with being vulnerable. That's the uncertainty, right, that I'm going to step out on faith and just try this. And I'm going to say to the kids, this may work and it may not. And if it doesn't, OK, we won't ever do it again. But let's just try it and see. And just just being having that level of transparency and vulnerability allowed it to work also. And it also created space for students to see that it's okay for things not to work sometimes, right? Because I think school has set it up that everything has to work, right? We're always striving for that A because it has to be perfect. But in this environment, perfect wasn't it. And if it didn't work, what do we learn from that, right? How are we going to move forward? So, wow, just so much in just that short amount of time, so much learning actually happened. The one thing that I'm wondering about though, and you mentioned this for yourself and for your students, is how to balance the work when you're in a, a home work environment. So what have you learned to help you balance so that you're not working 24 hours a day and so that your students are not working 24 hours a day? So what did you learn for yourself about balancing that and how are you helping your students understand that balance too? I would just offer one assignment. Like I said, okay. And I would do things in a range of time. So I would give them two or three days to complete an assignment. You know, it wouldn't be that this needs to be done today and it needs to be you know, completed by this time. Um, I would give them 
more than more, you know, more days to complete an assignment so that they didn't feel pressured in that sense of feeling like they had to do something the day of, you know, that it's something that they can do over a range of time. So I definitely tried to do that. Um, And I tried to make sure that they were aware that if you do not turn it in, we have time for that. Like, it's not something that we have to do right now. It's something that we can do today and then we can we can look at it we can see where it is we can see if you need some more help with that but i'd rather you do your best with trying to complete it and not trying to do not not doing things yeah yeah what about for you how did you balance it for yourself what did i do for me um this special friend right here (laughs) um, i had to be okay with letting him go to sleep very late at night um, because it allowed him to sleep during the day and allowed me to work during the day. Um, so I didn't have to, and I could do learning with him like after 12 o'clock. And once I did that, my day had a better shift. And I had to be okay with that, with making my own schedule the way that I needed to, to be able to survive this. Because, you know, I have two other children and I had to let them do what they needed to do. Everybody did what they needed to do in the time that they needed to do it. And not being so regimented and not being so scheduled because we, you couldn't be, you know, just like we were, you know, you have a meeting and then you have a child walk in the middle of the meeting. Like those are just the things that happen when you are working from home. Like you cannot sit here and say, you know, you're going to have to be here from this. I can be here this time, but I might have a child on my lap. I don't know what you want me to do, you know, about that. So it, it it made me have to be more flexible. Um, it made me have to be more creative, like I said, in terms of schedule mm-hmm. um, and being, you know, like this doesn't have to be this way. Like you have to be able to not be so rigid because you're, it, it'll make you crazy if you try to be rigid with this because you can't control what's going on with everyone else. You can only control your, what's going on with yourself to a certain extent, mm-hmm. as much as we can. So I just had to be okay with the schedule being whatever sometimes. And, you know, there's days where, yes, things have to happen at a certain time, but I had to be okay with everything not happening the way I wanted to all the time. Yeah. 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 I'm hearing you say too, that you had to let go of guilt. Yeah. (laughs) We are so often, especially black women, I think we're so tough on ourselves that we carry guilt around decisions that we make that we know are best for us. Mm-hmm. And um and help us manage our lives in a way that is manageable, but we carry the guilt with it. And the guilt, it eats us alive. I think hearing you say that, I don't hear that guilt. Like you were able to let go of the guilt, even of what other people might think, because you're letting your son go to sleep a little bit later. You know, uh, oh well, I don't, I don't care. This is what works for me. I don't feel guilty about it. You're not gonna shame me into this guilt. I'm good. <laughs> And when people would ask me about it, I said, my, my six-year-old will sleep till 12 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I said, and I'm fine with that because it gives me the time that I need to do what I need to do. Yes, he goes to sleep at midnight. Oh, well, you know, and, <laughs> and people, you know, people are like, wow. Like, and then it's like their wheels start turning too because I'm like, I have, I'm fine in the morning. I'm clear. I am free. Um, and I'm able to move as I need to not say it wouldn't be times that he woke up, you know, but for the most part, I could have, if I needed two to three hours of quiet. Yeah. Um, to do what I needed to do to have my meetings and do the things I needed to do. Cause I was also doing my administrative internship during COVID 
<laughs> during all of this. So those meetings started to turn into multiple meetings, which started to turn into my six-year-old asking me, are you having another meeting? Another meeting to the point where, you know, it's like that was, you know, anytime he sees me with my computer, he knows he thinks there's a meeting going on. You know, there were at that point multiple meetings because graduation and different things were being trying to be figured out and so many different things, scheduling and all many different, you know, the facets of education that happened on an administrative level that, you know, as teachers that we don't even know about. Um, so, you know, I had that on top of that. Um, and especially because I had missed so much time because of my ankle, I had to fill in a lot of those areas and make sure that I completed the hours that I needed to. So there was a lot on my plate, you know, during COVID a lot, but I mean, I, I'm, I came out all right. So look, you're smiling. (laughs) (laughs) You're smiling. You mentioned an administrative internship. I'm really curious about what lessons have you learned about leading mm. through a crisis, a pandemic, right? And and leading in a way that that centers the people you lead. You have to support them. I remember just even a few weeks ago, even with this, you know, because I still have conversations with the administrators on an administrative level and we have, you know, a group chat and in the group chat one person was making a suggestion that I think we need to sit down and have um, a Zoom or a Google Meet with the teachers just to just just to hear them out, um, hear their questions, hear their concerns. Another administrator said, I don't think we should do that until we have more answers. I agreed with the first one. People want to be heard. Even if you tell them, listen, I don't have the answer for that. But people sometimes just want to sound off just like I was able to tell you how I feel like we shouldn't go back to school and this is terrible and they're doing the wrong things for kids and we're not thinking about anybody else and run that all down for you to tell me I agree. Not even that I agree. I understand. Mm -hmm. I feel validated in that and I feel okay. And even though you didn't give me an answer, I still feel that you heard what I needed to say. And that's something that we have to do and what people lack. And even I, I sent that administrator a text. I said, I agreed with you. And then maybe a week later, someone posted on Facebook, a colleague of ours who, work, who we work with, who said, I wish that administrators would just listen to us and hear what we have to say. I sent it to her. She said, Trine, I already saw it. And I said, this is what we were saying. This is what we were trying to get ahead of. You know, even if it's one person and I'm a person who finds value in just one, it's not about quantity. It's about the quality of what you do. If you make one person feel better or feel at ease because of what you said or what you did, you've made an impact. We want to, we want to reach the masses. That's not always how it's going to be. So I learned from that just being a leader who is transparent, being a leader that is visible. Hey, I'm available if you need to talk, you know, those types of things, but not in a way that sounds that you're not being authentic, you know, in a way that people believe that, you know, he or she really cares about the people. Um, and that's honestly, people work, work for people that they feel connected to in that way. People will go the extra mile for you when they feel connected to you in that way, yeah. you know, and, and that's what people have told me, even about me, you know, with me doing my internship things, you listen to people, mm-hmm. you listen to people and we can tell that you actually care and actually you're trying to make a difference and what this is. So you you have to hear people out, even if you don't agree, even if you feel that that's not worth your time or whatever the case may be. Sometimes you just have to do it because people need that. Yes, 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 yes to everything you said. And you know that um, 
I'm reading the book Emergent Strategy, yes. and in the chapter that we we are discussing right now, she says this: listening for the truth within them, listening for what they are longing for, for what they know they deserve, for what they need. And I think what you just expressed is just that: is the ways in which we listen. And I think you're demonstrating that listening is also the one of the foundational things in which to help build relationship, right? Because if I can truly listen for what's their truth, if I can truly listen for what they're longing for, and I can truly listen for what they need and be able to say that back to them, I've deepened that relationship so much more because they feel seen, yeah. they feel heard. And that can be done in a virtual environment, right? <laughs> You don't have to be in person if you truly know how to listen. So if that is the lesson you've learned through this, that that's a powerful lesson that's going to carry you, you know, as I've been saying, pandemics and beyond, right? It's going to carry you way beyond this pandemic and into your administrative career. Yeah. And wow. it's funny, you know, as you know, I'm doing this work with diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, when I complete a session, the people that want to just come up and talk to me are about anything, about experiences they had, about things that they feel. They just want to be heard. And it's not because of anything that they necessarily want clarification on sometimes. It's just that they want to share this with me because they see me as the source for something. Mm -hmm. So they just want to share. And I even learned that with that because I could pack up myself like, oh, got to go. You know, I got places to be and things to do, you know, but I've, I've had to sit there and listen to three and four and five people who want to sit there and just share with me an experience that they had. And these are people that I know, you know, and work with, um, but still see that there's, you know, see me in a different way and see me as that leader in that area. So therefore they feel that they want to share this with me. So I know that that's what people need you know, on a different level, you know, that that's what they need to be able to feel somewhat fulfilled in, in the environment that they're in to know that that person actually is willing to be that ear for them. Yeah. 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 Wow. What's your vision for where we're going? Ooh, it's a loaded question. <laughs> um, honestly, my vision is for us to honestly believe that we can impact students in whatever place that we're in. That we don't have to be in a brick and mortar building, just like when churches were closed, people say the church is not the building. You know, and that was something that people stood on because how can you have faith in something that you're only able to do inside of a building? You know, how can you build your faith and just say, I only have faith if I'm inside church? That's not how it was meant to be in the same way education is meant to be outside of the walls of the school building. There's so many ways that you can educate. Um, and I wish that we could come to that belief and understanding that, wow, that there's so much more that we can do and we can do it in a way that could still be impactful, even though we don't walk in the doors of a building until it's safe. And it's like, okay, so they're going to have a vaccine. Not that I'm going to take it because I don't trust government. Okay. <laughs> need to see that tested on some others first, right? Before. <laughs> let's, let's use that for a, four year, for a few years before um, I would even think about getting it, but all to say that that is what people believe is a return to normal, which is a vaccine. But I feel that we could do so much with learning how to impact students outside of school within doing this in this, in this virtual environment with being creative, which finding those ways to be able to engage students. And I love that I see all these things online 
um, that I wish that I could be engaged in, but you know, I'm on my on my soapbox without wanting to do this. But I do see things that pass by about how to engage students virtually. You know, I did make my Bitmoji classroom. I did jump on that bandwagon because I know that my students would love that. And I know there would be something fun for them to see. So I, I'm, I did do that, you know, so they would have something to look at. There's so many ways to engage and seeing people's creativity come from it and seeing where people have found a niche in this area of people who probably didn't know that they were as, you know, as capable into, you know, in instructional technology as they are, didn't realize how capable they were in doing things in this way. So that is something that I, I see as well, just people being able to find their niche mm-hmm. um, in this area and knowing that, you know what, wow, someone found their area, their, their space in this, and now has decided that I'm just going to be a teacher for cyber. Mm-hmm. You know, they realize that, you know what, I realize that I can be impactful um, behind a computer screen and I'm reaching my students in a different way. So I just want us to come to an understanding that this job can be done even if we don't walk in the building. Yeah. Yeah. You said something that caused me to think differently. And you mentioned the Bitmoji classroom and my daughter and I were having this conversation about the Bitmoji classroom. And I'm like, I don't even get why you're wasting all this time doing that, right? But what you just said about it and just having created yours and just at that moment, what popped into my head was because you talked earlier about having fun and play. And and I am a firm believer in play because I believe that play is the environment in which we learn about ourselves and we also learn about relationship. And there's also cognitive learning happening in play, you know, because we are doing all of the things, all of the thinking, uh, analytical and critical thinking that we need, that we want students to do academically happens in play. And we don't often make enough time for them to build that muscle in play so that they can carry it right over into the academics. I'm just wondering, and that thought that popped into my head was, how cool would it be if kids then created a Bitmoji room? Here's my learning room, right? And I don't even know if it's possible, but, and how much would the teacher learn about that student from just how they create their learning space, right? Mm but keeping in that sense of play. And so when we think even about engagement, how engaged would students be with that? Like, I think I know my grandchildren would hop on that in a hot second. They would find that to be really cool. But then having, how do you extend that, right? How do you take that play environment and extend it to, well, what words could you label your room with, right? You know, how do we take that learning and bring it into this play environment where kids really are engaged, it's authentic, we get to learn about them. They get to learn about each other. Like, I think that has such a, a powerful connection. And I hadn't thought about Bitmoji classrooms in that way until just now. So yay for me. <laughs> <laughs> for being open to thinking about it differently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's so much. There's so much possible. So much, I think, that's, um, that's possible. So what's the start of this year going to look like for you? And I know we already talked about how you're kind of frozen in place, but maybe this conversation has shifted you a little bit. Um, It's going to look like um, I I am excited to see my students. Haven't seen them in a long time. It's been since March. Um, so, So my beginning of the year is going to look like the way it should. We're going to have fun and I'm not putting too much pressure on anybody because I'm just glad that you're here. 
Um, your parents want you here and you're here. So I'm glad you're here. So let's do, you know, let's make the best of all of this because I feel like people are going to be anxious in their own right. Yeah. And I feel like making my environment for them as comfortable as possible. They even said that we shouldn't even be teaching them for the first two weeks. So if that's the case that, you know, they should even be there. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but then on the other end, we, you want us to do something else, which shows us that you don't even feel comfortable in that decision as well, because you know that this is something that's going to be very difficult to really do effectively. Yeah. Yeah. What your students will receive will be, again, what you feel is right for them, you know, centering them and not you, but really putting them at the center of the decisions that you make. And, and that, to me, is probably one of the most powerful messages we can give to all teachers, right, is how do we center our decisions on our students and what they need, not on our comfort. Yeah. Yeah. What have I not asked you that you think is important to share? Wow, I don't know. You, we've talked about a lot. Probably, what, what will I do after this? Because <laughs> mm. I, I feel that I am at the end of my teaching career. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that I have um, completed my assignment. And I'm looking into moving into administration in my own way. <laughs> because, you know, I feel my leadership role in uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that right now doesn't have a position. So I've got to, I've got to pave my way in that, that respect uh, where that might be outside of the classroom, which I already know it has to be, you know, Mm -hmm. but that might be outside of my building. That will be, you know, me trying to cultivate that passion into a business Mm -hmm. um, because of what I believe in it and what I believe we need in this this area in this nation, uh, we need to include and we need to be more welcoming to all. And as teachers that we have to come off of what we feel we need in terms of how we feel kids should be, mm-hmm. um, how, what the frame of reference that they have that we feel that they should have more or less. You know, we have, uh, you know, as teachers, we can be very rigid. We can be very controlling when it comes to things. And it's something that I see, you know, with my, you know, people that I work with all the time about what we feel kids, you know, they should know better than that. Or these are the things that we should be, they should be learning this at home and those types of things. When in reality, it's just, as you said, you, you, you can't walk. If you don't walk in someone's shoes, you don't know. So you don't even know what home looks like for them. How dare you, you know, make those assumptions of what you think should be a perfect ideal student or ideal situation. So, you know, I have many views on all those things. And I know that, you know, when it comes to teaching that that is coming to an end for me. So, you know, maybe this will be my last year for that, you know, eight, the number eight is new beginning. So uh, I'm believing that that my number eight is going to be a new beginning for me. (laughs) Well, you know, life is a a series of journeys, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what makes our life. And it is, I think, a, a really aligned individual who can decide when one journey is ending and they're in search of the next journey. And I can speak from experience in that I've had many journeys and it was very powerful for me to end a journey and step into uh, something new. And, and that's, I guess, that uncertainty. Like I live in uncertainty and I'm really comfortable stepping into new journeys, ending what's known to be able to step into something else that's possible, right? And not even fully understanding what it is I'm stepping into, but that's okay because I will figure it out and I will 
I will make it work. And, and as long as I'm listening to my heart and, and what's really important to me, I know the journey will be all that I need it to be, right? Without having the plan and knowing exactly what every step is going to be. If I'm just living aligned with what I believe, it'll be all that I need it to be. So I just wish you the best in that journey, that next part of your career and looking forward to hearing more about how that unfolds and, and what's there, you know, and, and what will be possible from that. Yes. Yeah. Well, Trinae, thank you so much for this conversation today. It has been my pleasure. And I think we've dropped a lot of gems for all, our, all the listeners, things for them to really think about and ponder. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate this experience as well. This has been enlightening for me and made me realize that, you know what, you got to do a little, little work to prepare for school in the next week. <laughs> you have to do a little bit. I have, I have people waiting for me, so I have to make sure that I'm prepared for them. And you're ready. You know, you've already said it, you know, you may feel like you're in frozen mode, but your brain is thinking about relationship and you know, that's where you need to start. So you've got everything you need to get ready. Yeah. Well, the best of luck for your opening. And um, I'm so glad you decided to have this conversation with me. So thanks so much. Absolutely. Trine reminds us that when we do what is best for us, trust ourselves. We free ourselves of guilt and are better able to see all that is possible. Until next time.